This is the State of Inclusion podcast, where we explore topics at the intersection of equity, inclusion, and community. In each episode, we meet people who are changing their communities for the better, and we discover actions that each of us can take to improve our own communities. I'm Amy Sanders. Welcome. So today, we're happy to welcome Dr. Nika White. Nika is the president and CEO of Nika White Consulting. She's an author, a diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI practitioner, a nationally recognized consultant and speaker. She's also co-founder of the Carlo and Nika White Foundation. I first met Nika when she was leading the DEI work of our local chamber of commerce in Greenville, South Carolina. Given all that she's done and continues to do for our local community, as well as her work nationally, Nika was the first person I thought of to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion at the intersection of community and business. Thanks for joining us, Nika. Amy, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I appreciate you thinking of me, and I look forward to sharing the space and time with you in conversation. So I know you do a lot of consulting and training and speaking, and I imagine that you work with a lot of organizations where you help develop their leaders. You help them with strategies and approaches to make their workplace more inclusive and equitable and to ultimately make their organizations stronger and better places for all of their employees and prospective employees to work. But today, I want to kind of twist that a little bit and talk about the intersection between business and community and the communities, particularly in which those companies or organizations operate. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is, what do you think the corporations and organizations that you consult with expect from their communities in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion? So first, Jamie, again, thank you for having me. And I love this question because I don't think that we we intersect business and community as often as we should. I have been sharing um, and amplifying this message um, more specifically over the past 12 or so months. But What happens outside of the four walls of organizations certainly impacts the way in which its employees show up to the organization, how they perform, how they interact. And so I am big on organizations thinking intently about their corporate citizenship and responsibility and helping community to be at a place to where the embracement of diversity, equity, inclusion is something that can help transfer into the marketplace in an appropriate way. And so I think that organizations are starting to get it. You know, when I think back to the summer of 2020, um, specifically May 25th, the date of George Floyd's murder, it was so interesting to see how the language started to shift. And a lot of corporations who at one point in time were very focused on this is my lane, this is what we do, we're not going to get involved in social justice, you know, issues or other type of social complex issues. That's not who we are about. What they began to realize is that their influence, their power positioned them to be able to have a voice that could help us as a society emerge stronger. And so I think there's a more intentional blending of that intersection that I think is, is going to serve us well if we continue on that path. The bottom line is that 
communities, what they have to offer, how in which people may feel accepted and included is often the basis of people's decisions to relocate their families to certain areas, right? And to accept certain positions with certain employers. And so if employers want to be seen as an employer destination, they're going to have to care about all of the quality of, of life offerings within the communities. And part of that certainly is um, the diversity, equity, and inclusion piece. So you just covered a whole lot of ground in that conversation, in that answer. So um, let's just take a minute and unpack that a little bit for our listeners. So first thing you told us, which is really good news, is that you see that conversation shifting. And that is really exciting to hear that corporations that you interact with, and I know you interact with some big names, that they're starting to think about this a little bit differently and look, as you said, outside their four walls of their corporations and what happens within those four walls. You also talked about something that's really important to think about, which is why is it important to them? And it's important to them based on what you said to recruit people, but then also for the people that they've already recruited to help ensure that they are able to show up with their authentic self to work and not bring baggage from what's happening in the community and at home with them to work and they're able to work more effectively and interact with one another more effectively. So those were some important things for us to think about. Is there anything else that you think about in terms of why corporations should be thinking about this and why now? Yeah. Um, so Amy, as I think about a lot of corporations who want to be perceived and not just perceived, but they really want to live leadership in many regards, I think they do it because they are trying to model what they want others to aspire for. So for example, oftentimes when I go in and I have conversations with um, the most senior level leaders of, of organizations that are looking to um, start this journey or even elevate their commitment to the work of DEI, I begin to ask questions that will give me a clear understanding of whether or not this is a group of leaders who want their organization to lead from a DEI perspective, align with the market from a DEI perspective, or lag. No one never says lag, as you can imagine. And most often, very few people even say align. Mostly what they're saying is, we want to be a leader. We are already a leader in our industry. We want to make sure that we are a leader in other capacities as well, because we think that that even more so elevates us as an industry leader. And so then we began to unpack, well, what does exemplary leadership look like in the tenets of DEI? And then we start to really break down what are the dimensions of DEI work? And as we talk about each one of those dimensions, it really is a great way to align those leaders around organizational readiness, because one person could say, yes, we want to lead, and this is what leading in DEI looks like for me. And that could be vastly different answer from the next leader who is just as much of an, a significant stakeholder. So then we can have some deepened conversations around how do we now take all of these ideas that these influencers um, have about what they envision for how in which they want DEI to be manifested as a leader and then bring some alignment to it so that we all are at least starting from a place of clarity and understanding. And so I think that part of the reason that many of those organizations will decide, yes, we want to engage in this work is because they want to be seen as a leader. 
And then um, again, as I mentioned, it gives me an opportunity to then deep dive a little bit further into that conversation. I also think that organizations are really concerned about the corporate social responsibility piece, right? And with corporate social responsibility, you have to care about community and caring about community means also caring about those communities who find themselves at, you know, really impacted negatively by systems of oppression. In that regard, a lot of their funding priorities will be towards, you know, organizations and efforts that are designed to help bridge that disparity gap that exists among those who were um, historically disenfranchised and marginalized. And I think that when you consider the, the revenue potential, you know, people want to do business and support organizations that care about humanity, community, all of these important issues. And so I think that organizations are starting to understand that being in this space where they are deeply committed to the work of DEI helps from a, a business imperative perspective, also a moral imperative perspective. And the two together blended, I think is a win-win for our community as well as for those organizations. One of the things you didn't mention, which just haven't spent a long time in corporate life in my career, is also risk management. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, there is a factor of getting ahead of, you know, things that may happen or they may find themselves involved in or their employees may find themselves involved in. Mm -hmm. So being prepared for that, anticipating that and building for that. Yes. No, Amy, I'm glad you brought that up. And while it was not top of mind, as I was responding just a second ago, that is huge. You know, I often talk about what I refer to as the three C's. And these are reasons that organizations are driven and motivated to do the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. The first C is compliance. And that's where a lot of that, you know, risk mitigation mindset will come in. You want to make sure that you're complying to all of the regulations that are important and necessary for, you know, the different industries that maybe an organization could be a part of. Um, You want to make sure that you're obeying the laws of the land. No one wants to end up in anyone's courtroom for a lawsuit for discrimination or anything else that could fall into a territory of um, presenting as as danger to to anyone. And, And so when I think about risk management, I often think about organizations being motivated for compliance reasons, you know. But then also the second C is character. And that's where we think about doing the work of DEI because of the moral imperative. It's the right thing to do, right? We have this code of conduct. We want to make sure we're maintaining this high corporate reputation of of being an organization that really cares deeply about humanity and community. And then the third C is commerce. And that's where organizations are driven and motivated to do the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion because they have a desire to because they have reached the conclusion that there is power and strength and opportunity in being intentional about operationalizing DEI. And what that looks like for them is they know they're going to be able to attract and retain the best talent. They know that through a DEI lens, they're going to be able to create these strong team structures whereby people are collaborating at a high level because people aren't afraid of that healthy conflict, you know, and in that healthy conflict and banter, we can realize great level of creativity and problem solving ability, which leads to innovation. And all of that impacts the bottom line. And so as I think about risk management, though, I really do consider all three of those components. 
combined. And so um, I'm glad you asked that question because it gave me a chance to reflect on, you know, the, the whole compliance character and commerce as, as three reasons that a lot of organizations will engage in this work. And I, and again, I think that risk management, it can be found in every single one of those. Yeah. And I think it's easy to see with your three C's because I really like that. It's very um, tight and succinct. I think it's easy to see how those C's connect then to community as well. And being able to link each one of those things to the communities within which these corporations operate or these organizations operate. But I want to ask you a question because, I mean, I happen to know that you have an interest in this too, but I want to ask you this anyway. So we're talking in broad terms about organizations. And Mm -hmm. when I hear you talk about these, I think about big corporations and big organizations. But where do them in a community, many, many, many of the employers in a community are these small businesses. You know, they're mom and pop shops. They are, you know, five and 10 person contract organizations or whatever they may be specializing in. So where do you think that this DEI work fits in in relationship to the community for these small organizations? You know, executionally, it may look a little different, but from a foundational perspective, I I think that the work is the same. You know, DEI is all about people and culture. And when we consider that no matter the size of an organization, every organization, whether it realizes it or not, it has a culture. And that culture could either be helping people to show up at their best, which means that's driving towards the best outcomes, or it could be hindering people from showing up at their best. And in that situation, that's where we are losing out on optimizing what our primary goals and objectives are for being in existence in the first place. And so I think that it applies. I do realize that there are a lot of people who are of the persuasion that only those large box brand corporations should be doing this work. And I always like to take opportunities where I can to refute that. So thank you for the question. I think it's more about, again, just buying into the value set of operating with the lens of DEI. And then whatever that looks like for each organization, making sure that you manifest that and and being intentional around your practices, your systems, your policies, your procedures, how in which you are attracting your your employees as well as your, your customers. So I think that every organization, regardless of size, can certainly play in this space of operationalizing DEI. I really do. I even think about diversity supplier um, spend. You know, a lot of times you only find large organizations that will have, you know, sophisticated and formal programs around their spend with diverse suppliers. But every business has expenses, right? So again, it's just about the level of intentionality that people are willing to subject themselves to in order to move the needle in ways I think could be really impactful. You know, I often talk about DEI from the standpoint of um, we can approach it as activity or we can approach it as impact. And I always encourage people to approach it as impact. Activity has a start and an end date. And if we consider any type of movement around DEI as an activity, then we're only going to get just a moment in time of any type of benefit. Rather, what we have to do is look at systems, policies, procedures, culture, and and again, see it as something that needs to be a part of the way of life of the organization. And so when I think about, again, the question of big, large organization or corporation versus small businesses, right now, small businesses collectively are producing a ton of jobs for people. 
And so I like to think of it as all of those small organizations doing their parts, but but then collectively, what is that impact? It's significant because so many people are being, yes, so many people are being employed by small businesses, especially now in the midst of this great resignation where so many people are finding the season as an opportunity to start their own businesses and to employ other people, either through 1099s or through W-2s. I mean, I, I think that we are seeing the way in which people show up to work, um, the workforce is changing completely in many regards. And that's also a form of, of diversity, is how in which we think about um, the workforce of the future and what the needs are of people. Yeah, so the yeah. small businesses play a big role in the community in terms of the size of the employment base, but the influence that they have within the community and the involvement in many cases that yes. they and their owners have in community activities. Absolutely. So that's really important as well. So let's just switch gears a minute. And, and this may not be your area of focus, but just switch gears a minute to talk about the employees who actually work for the city or the county or the entities that make up our public um, environment. Where do you see DEI there and how do you see that playing out compared to corporations? Again, I think that the tenets of, you know, the, the foundation of DEI, it applies the same across the board, executionally, how in which those entities may decide to engage in the work of DEI can look a little different. I think when I consider municipalities, government organizations, they are serving a broad, diverse constituency. And so in that regard, I think almost it deserves even greater level of, of attention and commitment to DEI. When we consider that what's, you know, these municipalities are selling is a geography. And what about that geography is going to want to cause people to come and plant themselves and their families there? What about that, that city or that market is going to allow businesses to want to plant themselves there because that brings in jobs? And so again, I think there's still a business imperative, but it's also about what are we doing within those communities to make sure that as these newcomers will consider our geographies, can know that they're going to be safe, they're going to be accepted, they're going to be valued and heard, this full opportunity for success. So I I think it's just a deepened um, and different level of responsibility, not that it's too incredibly off the beacon path of what, you know, corporations have to deal with as well, because they need to be considering those same things. What I have seen increase over the past 12 to 18 months would be separate organizations and leaders within communities coming together to to form this coalition or commission, if you will, whereby you have people from different sectors, whether it's education, law force, you know, the business community, whether they're all kind of coming together to then create this more broad, comprehensive plan to address issues of equity and inclusion. And I think that that's a really good approach because it's a way to really cast the net wide and to think about what are the challenges through the systems of oppression at a more holistic, you know, way that then allows them to get to the crux of the matter, peel back all the layers, identify those root causes of issues that could be compromising inclusion and equity, and then solve for it in that way collectively. I've seen that. I even think about Greenville, South Carolina, where, you know, more than a year ago, the Racial Equity and Economic Mobility Commission was formed. And my firm is fortunate to be 
in partnership with, with this commission, helping them to really navigate the complexities of, of, of how do we now bring together all of these key stakeholders and organizations and leaders to help solve for racial equity issues in our community. And so I wanted to share that as an example, but that's something else that I'm seeing that I think is intersecting community and business, you know, because we need the business community at the table, but we also need those educators. We also need those government officials. We also need, you know, just concerned citizens who have great level of activism support from their followers. So, yeah, I think that's a concept that also I'm seeing um, increase in numbers across the country. I'm so glad you brought that up because you actually jumped ahead of my next question, which was to really (laughs) talk about what are the ways that the community can learn from actors in the community that are more forward thinking in this or perhaps more experienced? And how can we broaden that experience base across the community, public, private, all of those folks cross sector together to learn? And you just gave a great example of how that can happen. One mm-hmm. of the other questions I wanted to ask you a little bit about is there are entities in the community that work with businesses and advise mm-hmm. them like the Chamber of Commerce. And I know you've sure. worked with them. Mm-hmm. What do you see as their role to help advance diversity, equity, and inclusion in these sort of principles across the community? Such another great question, Amy. And so I will talk about it from direct experience with, you know, as you mentioned, my involvement in, in the Greenville Chamber. And so for your, your listening audience, um, I spent, you know, seven or so years serving as the SVP of diversity, equity, and inclusion for the Greenville Chamber. And at the time, it was a newly created position. And what was required was really building and establishing the Chamber's DEI initiative and strategy that looked both internally and externally. Fast forward after doing that for seven years, that's when I then launched my management consultant firm. And I continue to work with the Chamber Go, but not as a W-2 employee, but now in a consultant client capacity. So I'm very much entrenched still into the work of, of chamber organizations, not just the Greenville Chamber, but chambers and other economic development agencies all over. So I have good perspective here. I think that role, the role of economic development agencies, chambers, and even other associations that may exist to serve the needs of a broad-based group of, of constituents that have a high level of influence in the, in the, in the community is that they can help through the volume of a voice to, to help amplify some of those key issues of concern. So for example, the Greenville Chamber, like many chambers, each year they have a legislative agenda that is informed by input from the community, right? I also think about the example of REAM that I just mentioned, um, the Racial Equity Economic Mobility Commission. The Greenville Chamber is one of three founding organizations of that commission. So the chamber, as a staple in the business community, the voice of the business community said, this is a big issue, is racial equity, but it impacts business. And so we need to be at the forefront of this. And the two other founding organizations I should mention as well are Urban League of the Upstate and the United Way. And so again, very much organizations that are centrally focused on community and the community efforts. So I think that the message here is that those organizations have to get proximate to the problems. And part of getting proximate to the problems is, again, bringing people to the table. The chamber is a great convener to bring people to the table to be able to discuss these issues. Because if we get proximate to the problems, I think that it, it positions us better 
to be able to be called to action. You know, we're not just trying to solve something on the surface, but we're peeling back all the layers, getting to the crux of the matter. And, and that's what it means to be able to get proximate to the issues. The best way for organizations and individuals to serve as effective allies and allyship at bare minimum is about action, useful action is to collaborate with those communities, those marginalized communities in which they're trying to serve and to address those disparities. And so, uh, you know, again, I think of, of what I just shared, being a convener, getting proximate to the problems, leveraging their influence through the volume of, of connectivity they have to broad-based populations of people and influencers. Those are incredible ways that chambers and other organizations alike can help move the needle forward. So thank you for all of that insight, because I think it's really important for our listeners as we think about how can we influence our communities. This mm-hmm. whole conversation is to help remind us that there are large corporations and small companies out there who are leading in this space yes. and who are interested in and who benefit from helping the communities to become more inclusive and equitable. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, there are resources of people who already convene groups of people together, like the Chamber of Commerce, like the United Way, who can become part of this conversation and help you to find a way to move your community forward. Mm -hmm. So those were great examples of and your advice of, you know, the conveners becoming proximate. Yeah. <laughs> um, I loved all that. That's really helpful to see how that can actually play out in real life. And you gave mm-hmm. some good practical examples of what's happening here for us at home. But yeah. this is also happening in other communities across the country. Right. right. Absolutely. So at this point, what I'd like to do is ask, do you have other things that we haven't talked about that you feel like we should be talking about? or things that you want to bring out? Yeah, we've covered a lot of ground here today. I would say that I'm really big on people embracing and owning the opportunity to increase their own personal learning. I believe that this work starts at the personal level. You know, we've talked a lot about organizations and what's happening, you know, within the four walls of those organizations. But I think I also want to talk to individuals, you know, as well and to say, don't necessarily wait for your organization to help educate you on DEI. Um, you may just be very well be the catalyst that helps to jumpstart your organization's journey around deepening its commitment. And so I'm a big believer that this work begins at the personal level. So personal reflection is really important and, you know, resources abound right now. So wherever you are within your learning journey, then certainly take an opportunity to think more intently about What are the resources and tools you can put into your toolbox? We all are entering this conversation at different places, right? So I think that um, it behooves each of us to hold ourselves accountable because otherwise, if we just continue to operate off of, well, I don't know what I don't know, it doesn't exonerate us from the consequences of our actions, right? And so finding, you know, different different ways to build up our own um, knowledge base, I think is going to serve us all service all well. I think I'm so glad you brought that up because Mm -hmm. in the end, organizations, systems and processes and communities are all made up of individuals. And we have an obligation to look inward before Mm -hmm. we look outward Mm -hmm. and to 
advance our own thinking and our yeah. own abilities before we try to influence others. Because in the end, the only person that we can influence is ourself. Ourself, yeah. So um, I'm really glad that you brought up that notion of individual responsibility and accountability and opportunity, mm-hmm. because that's what it is in the end, right? So absolutely. Nika, thank you so much for joining us today. And I really appreciate this conversation and your insights. Amy, it was great to reconnect. Thank you again for inviting me to share with your audience. And I'm grateful that we have this time. That was a great conversation with Nika White of Nika White Consulting. If you're listening to this interview and you're a corporate type person, is your corporation showing up in the community Are they thinking outside the four walls of the corporation? And are you helping to motivate them to do that? If you're a community change agent, are you working with your corporations in your community who might already be very far down the road of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and be very motivated to work within the community and to partner with you? Are you also partnering with some of the conveners like the Chamber of Commerce? Nika reminded us, that corporations are often motivated by what she called the three C's, compliance, character, and commerce. But I was very encouraged to hear that she's seen corporations all across the country become more involved in building more equitable communities and influencing the justice work in the communities in which they operate. Nika reminded us that for many of those corporations, it's not only that it's the right thing to do, but it also makes good business sense. This has been the State of Inclusion podcast. Join us again next time. And if you enjoyed this episode, the best compliment for our work is your willingness to share these ideas with others. So leave us a review. We'd love your comments. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.